4, please. We're going to be in the little book of Philippians. Chapter 4, we'll start our reading in verse 10. As you're looking for it, uh, I love the church at Philippi. I was just kind of meditating before this year started and thinking, Lord, if I could learn the book of Philippians this year. So I've been reading the book through each week and studying and praying and uh, it's been a great source of joy in my life to study and to read. The, book, the, the church at Philippi was a church that Paul started in Acts chapter 16. And uh, we think of people like Lydia and this, uh, this young damsel who had a spirit of divination, the Philippian jailer, and all of those. And no doubt some of them were reading this letter that God inspired and used Paul to write down. And uh, he's kept it for us today, and we've got a lot to learn through it. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 10 through 13. I'd like to ask you if you would stand with me as, we, as I read out loud, and if you'd follow along silently, please, in your place. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Let's pray together one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. It's perfect, and we just want to learn. And we do pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would guide us and that you would teach us and open, enlighten the eyes of our understanding, that we might understand your word, Lord, and that we might uh, hear it and be doers of your word. Help us to glorify Jesus, the head of this church, in the way that we Listen and respond to your word and help me to preach it so that Jesus is exalted. Thank you for giving us the church. I'm so grateful that there are churches all around the world that belong to you and that you're using to reach this world for your son, Jesus Christ. And this is one of them. And it's such a privilege to be here and to teach the word to these dear believers and to be an extension of this church's ministry as we serve in Patagonia. Thank you, Father. We do pray that uh, you would work in our midst and that Jesus would be glorified in everything that we think and do and our attitudes and in the way that we respond to your word. Thank you, Father. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated, please. <clears throat> Verse 10 says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now, the book of Philippians, it's a short book. If you're like me uh, and you've got a Bible with smaller print, if you just turn one page, you're done with the book of Philippians, okay? And uh, in fact, in your reading of the scriptures, and I don't know if you read it once a year or once every few years, I'm a little slower uh, as I read from Genesis to Revelation, but if you blink, you missed Philippians, okay? It's a small, short book, just four short chapters, and in these four chapters, it talks about words like joy and rejoicing 16 times. 16 times in just a couple of pages here in the Bible, it talks about joy and rejoicing. And certainly it's one of the mega themes of the book of Philippians. 
Just in this chapter alone, he's talking to them, these people that God has used him to reach and to disciple and train. And he's saying, you are my joy and crown. He tells them in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And then we get down to verse 10. And uh, a subject is going to come up that might not always bring joy to us. (laughs) But that's not the way it should be. It's going to talk about giving, giving to missions, finances. I know sometimes when we hear money is brought up and we kind of put the dukes up and say, well, what's up with that? Why are they going to talk to you about money? You know, you can sit and talk about a lot of things. What kind of work do you do? Oh, I do this, I do that. That's great, you know, and uh, you have kids? Yeah, yeah, where are you from? I'm from here. I'm from. How much do you make? What? That's personal, right? And it is, I understand. And uh, as we talk about uh, finances and, and missions and those things, listen to what he says. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Someone said this, that if your Christian life is void of joy, your Christian life is broken. Certainly as we know God, we first come to know him as our Savior by believing in Jesus, believing that he shed his blood for our sins, his death for us on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. And as we repent towards God and believe in him as our Savior, come to know Jesus as our Savior, uh, certainly that's that uh, beginning, that miracle of a moment where we're born again. And from that point until we die, or from that point until we are uh, taken away when Christ comes and catches us away, uh, we are in a process of knowing God more and being sanctified, and being molded into the image of his son. And as that happens, joy is a fruit that is produced in our life. Joy. And when he comes to talk about this wonderful church that was a missions-giving church, the church at Philippi, he says these words, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I was reading just a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 8 and how Philip had gone to a certain city, and there people were getting saved and baptized. And it has just this short verse that says, and there was great joy in that city. You know, when we do our part in the Great Commission, we are witness for Christ here locally, and uh, we are helping new believers to come to spiritual maturity. Not only that, but we are supporting missions all around the globe. It is a great source of joy. So he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly over what? That now, look in your Bibles with me, now at the last, your care of me hath flourished again. He's talking about their missions giving. Your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And so we can understand that at one point, they were giving to his ministry. And for some reason or another, they weren't giving And then now they are again. He says, your care of me hath flourished again. What a descriptive word, the word flourished. Think about that. Is your missions giving flourishing? (laughs) And he says, uh, it has flourished again. But he's not writing to them to reprimand them, to kind of yank on their ear and say, hey, why'd you drop the ball? Why'd you stop supporting me? No, we, we don't know exactly why they stopped supporting him, but we do know it's because they lacked opportunity. It was not possible for them to support him for some time. 
I don't know why. It might have been because they didn't have PayPal. It might have been because they didn't have Zelle, right, Western Union. They couldn't write a check, put it in, a, in an envelope, right, and send it off in, uh, in snail mail. They couldn't do that. They didn't have electronic transfers. In fact, if you can continue reading, in verse 18, it brings up uh, the messenger of the Philippians named Epaphroditus. And it tells us how he hand-delivered uh, an offering to them. And so what I would like for Pastor Wrench to start doing is each month I want him to hand-deliver our support. Boy, we'd love to have you come down, and I think you'd enjoy it too, Pastor. You have a passport? That's the first step, you know. He's halfway to Chile. It's cold down there. You know, it's, uh, right now there's snow in our city. And we've got, um, we have two seasons really in our city. We've got extremely cold and then we've got very cold. And that's basically what we got. You know, in summer it gets up to like the 80s. And that's like, whew, we're dying in the low 80s. And uh, <clears throat> it's a very cold place, but we love it. I feel like I was, I was made for the cold. I've kind of got, uh, you're looking at me like you look like you're made for the cold. Um, why is everyone laughing? Uh, was that a fat joke? Did I just make a fat joke about myself? Um, <clears throat> you know, <coughs> excuse me for coughing into the mic there. Um, we, uh, we baptize in the river. Did you see that in the video? We baptize year round. Year round and all the visiting pastors have to baptize. No, I'm just kidding. <coughs> We wouldn't let you baptize, but I'll baptize you if you want. You'll just have to start sending your tithe to our church down there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's cold, you know, snow, ice, rain, whatever, we're baptizing if someone wants to do it. We haven't lost one yet, you know, but I've been practicing, <clears throat> you know, for the day that we lose one. It's kind of one of these in the river. You put them down under, and then if there's kind of a high current that day. <clears throat> the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? And, uh, but um, they hand-delivered, Epaphroditus was the Philippians messenger, it tells us in Philippians chapter 2, and he took them by hand, he took him the missions giving, and he says, your care of me hath flourished again. Uh, now remember, they stopped giving for a time, but he's not rebuking them for that. He says they lacked opportunity, but they were careful. That's, that means they had the disposition to support him at all times, right? They had the disposition, but they lacked opportunities. I think sometimes what happens today is opportunities abound, right? But the disposition is not there. I know that that's not the case uh, in a corporate fashion here in this church that loves missions, uh, but maybe in an individual uh, maybe where you're sitting, you, you've at times had the opportunity to give, but you've decided for some reason or, or another not to do that. I'd just like to encourage you to be generous and to sacrifice. You know, in verse 18, it talks about their missions giving, and it calls it a sacrifice. And to sacrifice, to give up maybe something you've grown accustomed to, something that's become normal. Just give it up so that you can give to missions. You know, first we tithe and we support the house of God, the, the church of the living God, and we support the local ministry, the house of God, and the workers of the house of God. And, uh, and then above and beyond that, through our church, we give to missions. And it's such a source of joy. As we are, or as we are sowing and watering, right, 
Uh, sometimes we sow in tears, but it tells us we'll reap in joy. Right? We go forth bearing precious seed and weeping. It says, but we'll doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with us. So we work here in the fields and we sow where we are. And at the same time, we consider maybe God wants me to go to the mission field. Now, I know not everybody here is going to go to the mission field. Don't worry, we're not going to get overpopulated over there. But I, I do believe that every person who's listening to my voice right now should at least struggle with the fact that maybe God does want me to go. We should all wrestle with that. You know, Hudson Taylor, he was a famous missionary in China. We named our youngest son after him. And I found out Pastor has a, is a Hudson grandson. Was that the right name? And uh, <clears throat> we, uh, as I, I, I've read a lot of things from Hudson Taylor. I learned a lot from him about sacrifice. And, you know, he, he even cut out things like milk and cream and butter uh, and, and fruits and vegetables that weren't seasonal and more expensive cuts of meat. He began to cut these things out of his diet so he could give more to missions. And uh, he, I remember he, was, he had written a booklet about the need for the gospel in China. And as he presented the facts of the millions who were without Christ, he, he, said, uh, he said, with these facts in mind, it will not do to say that you do not have a special call to China. What you will have to ascertain is if you have a special call to stay home. And that's what he wrote to the English believers, encouraging them to give their lives to missions. And I'd like to encourage you to consider uh, not, only, not only to... I'd like to encourage you not only to remain faithful here as you preach the gospel and as you teach new believers how to walk with Christ and, and then instill in them that burden to win others now and to teach them and to continue that cycle, but I'd like to encourage you to consider giving your life to missions. It is a wonderful source of joy. You know, Pastor, I don't know if you remember, I had you for personal evangelism, and uh, that class helped me so much. Um, <clears throat> I, our textbook was The Wondrous Joy of Soul Winning. The Wondrous Joy of Soul Winning. And on the first pages, it talks about how there's, there's no greater joy than to lead somebody to Christ. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful source of joy to have our part in the Great Commission. He rejoiced in the Lord greatly because they were giving. They were giving to missions. Now, when I think when we speak about money... Oftentimes, motives come into question. Uh, you know, why is this guy, did they have a rough month last month and their mission support, is that why they're getting on us? <laughs> you know, pastor preaches on giving and, huh, was giving down last month? And, but we don't always have to question motives, right? Um, it's in the word of God and we preach the whole counsel of God. And, uh, but listen to this to clear up some motives in verse 11. He says, not that I speak in respect of want. What does that mean? That means in modern terms, I don't need your money. I don't need your money. Pastor, has a missionary ever gotten up here and said, I don't need your money? I don't think so, you know, but, uh, and tonight won't be the first night, <coughs> excuse me. But, you know, I, uh, one of our mentors taught us, he said, uh, he said, when you go to a church, Brother Jack Baskin, he said, when you go to church, ask them if they believe in the hereafter. Raise your hand if you believe in the hereafter. Who here believes in the hereafter? That's good because I'm here after your money, you know. <laughs> no, but in reality, uh, he, he's talking about missions giving as well. In, in all through this chapter, verse 14 and verse 15 and verse 16, and then in verse 17, he says this. 
not because I desire a gift. That's like saying, I don't want your money. In verse 11, he says, I don't need your money. In verse 17, he says, I don't want your money. And so I say that tongue-in-cheek, of course. Um, But why did he not need their money? Look in verse 11, Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be, would you say that word out loud with me? Content. Content. Was that Patrick? Man. And uh, therewith to be content. Contentment is one of those Bible truths. It's one of those, these principles in the word of God that will transform your stewardship and the way that you see what God has given you and, and what you're supposed to be doing here on earth as we maneuver uh, the life that God has given us. Contentment. Bible contentment is this. It's realizing that God has given me everything necessary for my present happiness. Bible contentment, recognizing God as the source and that everything I have has been loaned to me and I'm a supervisor, uh, I'm a steward over what he's given to me and it's recognizing that he's given me everything I need to be happy right now. That's Bible contentment. You know, if the opposite of Bible contentment, I would have to say, would be words like, uh, words like lust and covetousness. These these things that that show that evidence that God that we think that God has not given us everything we need. That we think that God has failed and come short in certain areas of our life. And maybe you've got something in your life. I know that I certainly have at times where I I would have said, you know, if I could just have, then I'd be good. Whatever that is, you know, if I could just get, oh, then I could be happy. There's just one thing I'm missing. You know, I think about and meditate on uh, Solomon's life in that book of Ecclesiastes that God gave us. And Solomon was a man who anything that you wish that you could ever have, he had it. And more, and so much more. And he called that life the life of uh, pursuing happiness apart from God through things and relationships and, and influence. And he, he had it all, and he calls that life vanity and vexation of spirit. You know, if you live for things and for money, not only will you find out that it's empty, vanity, but it will vex your soul. It will suck you dry. And Paul says, I don't need your money. And the reason why is because I've learned in any state therewith to be content. Follow me to Hebrews chapter 13, please. And you can hold your place in Philippians. Hebrews 13. This is great starting at 5 o'clock. Pastor told me we've got the same ending time. So about 7.15, right? Um, <clears throat> I appreciate all that extra time. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I'm just kidding, you know. Uh, I know most of you haven't had dinner, and that means I'm standing in a very dangerous place <laughs> between Baptists and food, right? Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says this. Let your conversation be without what? Covetousness. The next word, it says, and, to, and be Content. 
Let our lives, our conversation be without covetousness and be content with what things? It says, with such things as ye have. You know, Spanish is easy for one reason, and it's because it's a phonetic language. That means that you read it and you say it the way it's written. Vowels are always pronounced the same and consonants and all that. And that's one reason why it's an easy language. If you can just learn how to pronounce each letter, then you can actually read even though you don't know the language. You'll sound like you know it, but you don't because you don't have the grammar and vocabulary yet, but you're good at reading. But uh, one reason why Spanish is difficult is because of the tenses. You know, the verbs, you conjugate the verbs with the different subjects, and there are so many tenses. I think there's 15, if I'm not mistaken. And some of the tenses uh, in English, we like, uh, we do kind of use them, but not really. And so we have to like learn a new tense. It's like breaking down walls in your mind. It's killer. It's very difficult. The, 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 the tenses, and some missionaries will be on the field for 40, 50 years and never get the tenses down. Um, <clears throat> but I like verse 5 because the, the tense of the verb is the simple present tense. It's after the word content. He says, and be content with such things as ye have. What does that mean? Such things as you have right now. In fact, I would never correct our Bible, but in the Spanish Bible, it even says right now, with such things as you have right now. And that's implied here. He says such things as you have. The things that you currently have is what God requires you to be content with. Not with the things that you had yesterday or the day before or a year ago. Well, you don't understand the job I had. Man, I was bringing in the box. Well, God knows and God understands. And he tells us to be content with such things as you have. I remember meditating on this verse <clears throat> the day after we crashed our van. And the day before I had a van and I was content with that. And then I didn't have that van. In fact, we didn't have any vehicle. And I remember thinking with such things as you have. Be content with what you have right now. And although I don't advocate for apathy, <clears throat> the lack of drive and passion and the desire to do something to attempt great things for God and to expect great things from him, uh, although I don't advocate for that, uh, this is not even telling us to be content with such things as you could have or such things as, according to my 10-year plan, right, I'll have. No, content with such things as you have right now. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 6 with me. 1 Timothy 6. <clears throat> and after a passage of scripture that's talking about how some men want to abuse the godliness or devotion of others uh, and gain and make commerce out of the sincere faith of others, it tells us to withdraw ourselves from them. And then it tells us what real gain is. It's in verse 6, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with what? With contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I think Job really understood that as he praised the Lord after losing so much. 
And he said, naked came I, and naked I'm going to go. Certainly we brought nothing into this world, and when we go, we're not taking a U-Haul. Verse 8, it says, and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Boy, that's simple, no? That's a simple life. Food and raiment, let us be therewith content. You ever met someone where you said, how you doing? And he says, better than I deserve. I like that. Because it's true, really. Any time I, I take a breath and, and I'm not in hell, which is what I deserve, the condemnation and punishment I deserve for my sins. Any time I'm not there, it's a good day. And I am doing better than I deserve. And, uh, you know, well, you don't understand. I don't even have anywhere to sleep. I don't know a page in this book, and you can correct me afterwards, but I haven't seen where God promised to give us a bed and a house. But he did promise, uh, wherewithal shall we drink, and wherewithal shall we be clothed, and what, what shall we eat? And he did promise that if we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that all of those things would be added unto us. And here in this verse, he says, the only thing that we require to be content is food and raiment. And we can understand then, if I don't have what's necessary for my contentment, it's not his fault. It's because I'm not seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. <clears throat> Let's continue reading. It says in verse 9, but they that will be rich, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. It's interesting, uh, being rich is not wrong, it's not bad, but it's that desire, it says they that will be rich, it's that love of the idea of getting rich and living for that, that pursuit, that's what causes us to fall into temptation and a snare, and listen to what it says, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. There we go, that's kind of the opposite of contentment, no? Which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted, there we go, that's another word that's kind of the opposite of contentment. It says, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Contentment. We need to look to God and realize that he has already given me everything I need for my present happiness. You see, this Bible truth, it, <clears throat> it really sets a foundation and gives us a capacity to do so much with the money that God has given us. Uh, money is a terrible master, but it's a wonderful servant. That's the teaching of the first part of Luke 16. And Jesus tells us that no man can serve two masters. We can't serve money and God. We serve the Lord and we use our money as a tool for his kingdom, for his righteousness. And it's a wonderful, wonderful servant, our money, <clears throat> but a terrible master. If we would learn contentment, then we'd be able to live within our means. It's crazy. I've, I spent six months in Guatemala. I spent three months in Costa Rica, three months in Mexico. I spent a year in Chile when I was single, and I've now lived there since 2012. I've, I've been in third world countries and developing countries, and, I, I, and I've been in America for the greater part of my life. But it just blows my mind that in a place with so much prosperity, there could be so much debt 
<clears throat> we have so much physically, materially, and yet we just have this insatiable desire to get more, to have more, to get all you can, can all you get and sit on your can. <laughs> we love stuff and money and possessions. You know, the danger of possessions is they tend to possess you. First we get them and then they get us. And uh, we end up living for them to get them. And once we've got them, we end up, you know, I had to get that boat to go fishing. And I like to go fishing. I go out maybe once a year. But now I've got it, you know. So Saturdays we do the house chores. But Sundays I've got to take that boat out. I can't just sit there in my, in my parking, in my, the, you know, in my garage. I mean, it's going to go to wait. I know I should be in church, but I just, I think I've got to get out on the lake. And, you know, we, we, we get possessions. They end up possessing us. We've got to be very cautious about that. <clears throat> if we would learn contentment, we could then live within our means. And uh, in fact, God really, he just wants us to live with 90%. Um, tithing is, is very, <clears throat> it's very simple, just requires a little bit of arithmetic and some honesty. You know, we do the math and then we tithe. And uh, we can do more with, God can do more through us with 90% and fearing the Lord than he can with 100%. Uh, when we're not following what he teaches us. And, but if we would learn to live within our means, now we can live with less than our means. We can live with less than our means, and that means we can give to, to missions, and that means if we made the mistake of getting into debt, we can make a plan to get out of debt. You know, debt creates additional masters. Jesus said no man can serve two masters. He, the borrower, is servant to the lender. And as we uh, learn to live within our means and less than our means, we can save and we can get out of debt and we can uh, give to missions and be generous with others. And it's really, it's, for me, it's just a foundational principle, contentment, realizing that God has given us everything we need to be happy right now. Would you go back to Philippians chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 12, kind of expounds upon the in whatsoever state I am. Because he says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Verse 12 describes some of those states. It says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. It's comparing kind of two opposites to be abased. If you would think of... Uh, uh, it's not a word we use much, but it's got that word base in it. And base sort of talks about being low. Um, think of a basement in a house, right? Low. And he says, I know both how to be abased. Uh, it's talking about an economic humility. You know, when we got to Chile, we went with what most people would call being extremely undersupported. We'd set a very modest budget, and when we got there, we had 50% of that budget. And... Uh, and, you know, we, we rented a house in probably the worst neighborhood in town. I say probably. In the worst neighborhood in town. It's got that, uh, uh, it's that, it's famous for that reason. But keep in mind, we're from Pomona, okay? The, the, the ones that are laughing have been to Pomona. <coughs> we're from the hood, okay? And, uh, I mean, we worked on the bus ministry. And, you know, when you're driving a bus, you have to stop at the railroad tracks and open the door and open the window and look both ways. And we did that. Bus drivers driving along in Pomona, stops at the railroad tracks. Pastor, while we were stopped at the railroad tracks, we got tagged, spray painted, you know, on the side of our bus while we were stopped on the railroad tracks. We've been, we've heard gunshots. We've had bricks thrown at the bus. Okay, so uh, if you can get a picture the, uh, the worst neighborhood in Patagonia is like a great neighborhood in Pomona, right? 
<coughs> a great neighborhood in Pomona is a neighborhood where there's no drive-by shootings, all right? And uh, we, we managed to rent a house there in the, the worst neighborhood in town. That's what our budget afforded. And um, <coughs> uh, I remember people saying about our neighborhood, they called it a humble neighborhood. A humble neighborhood. Well, that's just a nice way of saying what? A poor neighborhood. We, li- we live in a poor neighborhood with less resources than other neighborhoods. And, and that's what he's talking about here. He says, I know both how to be abased or to be humbled, brought low, and I know how to abound. Now, remember, he's explaining the whatsoever state phrase from the verse before. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Boy, that's an interesting phrase, to suffer need. That means that God wants you and I to be content even when we have a perceived need. I say perceived because our needs aren't always the same in our eyes as they are in God's eyes. But when we are suffering need, even in that moment, God wants us to have contentment. I'd like to catch your eye on a couple of words here. Verse 11 says the word learned. And verse 12 says the word instructed. These words tell us something very interesting. They tell us that contentment is not natural behavior. Contentment is something that you have to learn. It's learned behavior. And if you disagree with that, it's because you don't have kids. Who in here is a parent? Who in here has, you don't have to be ashamed. You can raise your hand, right? Okay. And, uh, you know, what do they do when they're born? They cry. Uh, They cry for a lot of reasons, right? Maybe they're hungry. They want milk. Or maybe they need a diaper change. Uh, Maybe they're tired and they need to sleep. Or some babies are born colicky, right? Their stomach hurts. Uh, other babies, maybe uh, they just need more affection and they, they miss you. They're tired of being alone and they want you to pick them up. Uh, there's really a lot of reasons why babies cry. But let's imagine for a second, you have perfect parents, okay? The, we have these perfect parents and they have met every need that you could ever imagine for these babies. Or this baby, let's say, a baby. They've given them all the food they could ever need. You know, the baby has slept and rested. And uh, whoever said slept like a baby, we'll not even get into that. But they, they've slept and they've received more affection than any baby in all the history of the world's ever received. And they, they have, all their needs have been met. Even then, what do they do sometimes? They cry. They cry. And if you'd let me say this to you, sometimes you are a big baby (laughs) because God has been so good. He daily loads us up with benefits. He has given us so many blessings, so far above anything that we could imagine. And even then, sometimes we just sit and pout well, if I just had this and this is going wrong for me and it worked this this and that and my neighbors and my family and I just, I don't have enough money for that and I wish I had a new cool car like that guy and my drive for 90 something, you know. We're just a bunch of big babies. Well, you can't call me a big baby. You don't know me. I know you. 
Because I know me. And sometimes I'm just a big baby. God has been so good. And we need to learn contentment. We need to learn to be content in any situation. And uh, the, the Philippian believers, I think it's something that they had a hold of. Because they were able to give in such a mighty way to missions. <clears throat> the opportunity wasn't there for a time, but they still had the disposition. But as soon as the opportunity arose, they jumped on it. You know, when Paul left Macedonia, which is the larger area that Philippi was in, none of the churches in Macedonia were giving to missions, except the Philippians. Only the Philippians. And he says in Acts 16, he's talking about the beginning of the gospel, how they were already giving to missions when that church was an infant baby church. In fact, he says in verse 16, he says, even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity. You know, when Paul left Philippi, the first place he went was Thessalonica. And they were already supporting missions. He's just left Philippi in Acts 16. Acts 17 tells us he goes to Thessalonica. And they're already supporting missions. They sent once and again unto his need. And now their missions giving is flourishing. And as we think about these things, generous missions giving and contentment, Bible contentment, we have a mighty promise that God has given to contented missions givers. It's verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know, that phrase through Christ is very important. Just uh, last weekend, I was uh, preaching the gospel on a, a sidewalk in front of an abortion clinic in Stockton and uh, begging women to save their babies' lives. And praise the Lord, one woman made that decision. She walked over to the free clinic, and uh, they did an ultrasound. She didn't go into Planned Parenthood. And uh, I met there that day. I met a, a, a man of the Muslim faith, and uh, we were just talking for almost two hours. I preached the gospel to him probably ten times in that time, and, and I just kept coming back to Jesus. I just told him, it's all about, it's all about Jesus. I told him, I love Jesus. Jesus is everything for me. He kept wanting to diminish Jesus, but I just kept bringing it back to Jesus. He's everything. You know, and this promise, it's, it's for those who have come to know Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And if you are in Christ, this promise is within your reach. But if you're not in Christ, it's not for you. He says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. If you haven't been born again and you're not in Christ, it's very simple. We've sinned against God and we've offended him by breaking his commands, his law. And we deserve condemnation. We deserve punishment. You know, I know that hell and death and the lake of fire, these are not very popular words today. But they are Bible words and we've got to warn people. We've got to warn them of the coming judgment and, uh, and tell people that they need to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Great Commission says that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name among all nations. And that's what we need to do. And if you have not made the decision to turn to God and to put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, you need to do it. He died for your sins. He shed his blood to pay the price for your sins, was buried, and after three days, he rose again. 
And you can have everlasting life by believing in him as your savior. This promise is available to those who have done that. If we would learn contentment and learn to be generous, if I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, and certainly the opposite is true, that apart from him we can do nothing. Let's pray together. Pastor, would you come to the pulpit? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your church. And thank you for a church that loves missions so much. And I rejoice in you, Lord, because this church gives so generously. But no doubt there are some who need to begin tithing and others who need to start giving to missions and some maybe who committed but they've slacked off and they need to pick it up again and others who it's time to increase missions giving. But Lord, you know each heart and each situation and I thank you for speaking to us and working in our hearts and, and Lord, help us to learn contentment and to walk in that truth, acknowledging you as our God and not allowing things and money to become idols in our lives. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What's the hymn of, of invitation there, brother? All right, number 861, let's stand together. Certainly God has spoken to my heart and challenged me with some uh, uh, things that I need to, to uh, be more contented with. And